You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702 with Polani Guala. Email him on xg at 702.co.za. A lot of you talking about these tickets. Uh, Poo Timatlala says, being offered these tickets to the game on Saturday is like being invited to a wedding of your ex and your former friend. Well, hundreds of people want these tickets. eh? Yeah, it is painful. Hundreds of people, but unfortunately, um, we've already given them away. So the first person who called through um, got the two tickets. Sorry about that. All right, it is 16 minutes now before... It is actually 14 before 5. All right. So one of the stories that we are tracking, of course, this afternoon is a poll at Wits University. Now, this poll is supposed to help the university decide who and how many people want to go back to class and all of those issues. But let's get some more details now on this. We're on the line to Professor Adam Habib, who is Vice-Chancellor and Principal at the University of Wits. Nice talking to you, Prof. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. I'm going to talk about the poll shortly, but my producers tell me that uh, you've stepped out of a, a meeting with other vice chancellors. I have. We, we had a meeting this whole entire morning, uh, basically to kind of get an assessment of what's going on, uh, what what's happening on the various campuses, or how people are trying to manage it, and trying to learn lessons and what the implications are for the system as a whole. Uh, you know, and that's what we we've, we've just come out of. Are you able to tell us what uh, the feeling on the ground? What are, what are the vice chancellors saying? Well, I can tell you that uh, at, at, at the most generic level, people are very, very concerned. I mean, we have effectively 16 or 17 of our institutions that are in shutdown. There are about 10 operating in one form or the other. Uh, a large number of the Gauteng institutions, uh, and many of the Gauteng institutions are in shutdown. Uh, we are approaching a point fairly soon where we will cross the point of no return. The net effect is that we will not be able to finish the academic program. And and there are concerns about this. We've got, in many cases, multiple individuals writing to us saying, look, this is no longer tenable. My, I need to get back to starting writing exams. Uh, effectively, there's a lot of concern about violence. There's been some violence, as you see, in some places with police and, and private security, but there's also been a lot of violence from students. And effectively, uh, we need to get, uh, get people to step back from, a cri- from effectively take, uh, the politics of Brinkman's because they will destroy the higher education system in the process. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether people realize with what they're playing with. I'm going to come back to that because you, you are mentioning again this issue of a point of no return. I saw an article yesterday where you were quoted as talking exactly about that. You're saying, firstly, if we do not open in the next couple of days, then we are reaching a point of no return. And if we reach a point of no return, then we'll, ha- we'll have to make hard choices. What are these hard choices? Well, the first kind of thing is that we will not be able to produce the kinds of graduates for this year. So, for instance, every year we produce between twelve and 1,400 doctors as a system that go into the public health system. That won't happen. We produce engineers, we produce accountants and chartered accountants, etc. And remember, there's a whole series of accreditation bodies that sit after the final examinations, etc. If we're not going to write the final examinations, all of those accreditation bodies, etc., will not be making their own uh, deadlines, etc. Then, if nobody graduates this year, uh, it means that nobody can come in next year. Because the system is premised on some people leaving and new people coming into the system. And it would create a massive crisis uh, in the system. And my fear is that the people who are playing around with the system have no idea 
with what they're playing around with. And that we can't continue like this. The level of instability in the system is devastating. And it's already having an enormous impact on institutions. You know, I've had situations where staff members have said we're throwing in the towel, that this is just not acceptable. We're not prepared to, to live under these circumstances in a higher education system where we have this levels of instability. And, you know, the ultimately the people, if you destroy the higher education system in South Africa, the rich will go and buy their way elsewhere. It's the poor that will suffer. And you will irreparably damage the institutions that can fundamentally address inequality in our society. That's the tragedy of it. The institutions that can address inequality will be destroyed by the very people who want to actually address inequality in the society. But is it those people? And again, let's talk about because you're saying that the people who are tinkering with the system uh, have no idea what's going to happen. But do we know who those people are? Well, there's a whole series of activists who claim that they're in wanting to advance uh, the, the struggle for free education, that they want to uh, struggle to advance uh, a decolonized education. But what these activists have always got to understand is that social transformation in any context does not happen in one single moment, that it happens over a continuous period of time, and that it happens with, through trade-offs and understandings social struggle but engagement and it's the complexity of engagement both social struggle but also inter-institutional engagement that ultimately culminates in the social reforms that we are talking about. And so in, in effect, I don't think that that maturity of struggle we have seen in, in the current, in the current uh, activists. I must say I also think that and I've said before, I think that they have uh, an important cause and they've got a legitimate cause. Government has underfunded higher education and has enabled the crisis to emerge in the form that it did. This is not new. I've said this, and many of my colleagues have said this for many years. So I think that there is a legitimacy to the struggle. But the, the problem is there needs to be an understanding of how to move forward, how to understand trade-offs, how to make compromises, what is possible in this context, what is not possible, and to slowly begin to effect a series of reforms that cumulatively transform the system. Mm. Now, when you talk about a point of no return, it's a dr- dramatic term. Um, and, and obviously all of us start saying, wait a minute, how much time do we have before that point of no return? How many days do we have, in your view, before we get to the point where the system actually starts starting to collapse? So look, let me tell you what, we have had a conversation on this, and it depends in, in which context you're talking about, to which institutions you're talking about, and what particular programs you're talking about. If you're talking about the faculty of humanities, let's say, and effectively you're looking at programs that they are involved in, we probably have some time, maybe two weeks, two and a half, three weeks that we could play with. But if you were to take programs like engineering, the faculty of health sciences, where we're training doctors and dentists and pharmacists and nurses, if you're looking at those kind of programs, then we are on much tighter time leashes. In Vitz's case, when I spoke to my colleagues, they can adapt the program, but within reason. And often they said, we've got between six, seven days, maybe 10 days. But after that, we're beginning to push, push our luck uh, and our ability to move is going to be seriously hampered. The same is true. Uh, and when I speak to colleagues in other parts of the country, spoke to Max Price at UCT, uh, to colleagues from Stellenbosch, to others from the University of Pretoria. 
in places like that where we have strong engineering programs and strong faculty of health science programs, they're saying we got about another week, maybe 10 days, after which we're starting to, to, push, the, to push the margins of what is possible. Hmm. All right, let's talk about the poll then uh, in your university. Um, that was supposed to start this morning. Did it start? It did. Uh, there was an attempt, as you well know, uh, by a number of students to interdict the poll. Uh, we had a, There was a case that was heard late last night. I think it started at about quarter to 11. Uh, there was a verdict that uh, effectively came out at 3 o'clock, which said that there was nothing wrong with the poll and that the poll could go. It didn't violate anybody's rights. All it was is an opinion uh, survey of I'm trying to understand uh, what the vast majority of the university community wants to believe in and what their views on the matter are. And so uh, it began at 7 o'clock this morning. There were... Uh, little technical glitches here and there, but we managed to resolve them. Many parents, where we have glitches, people phoned in to say that, you know, the SMS didn't work as effectively as they want, and we fixed the, the problem. Uh, it closed, I think it closes now, and effectively we should have, uh, we should have answers tomorrow. Uh, it does look like we've got a good turnout. Uh, I know there were some people trying to, to stop the, uh, the, the poll uh, from happening and calling for a boycott, but it does look like and we've had a good turnout, but we'd have to wait for the numbers, for the audit numbers to come out in the course of the next 24 hours. All I right. think we'll give you answers before 12 o'clock tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. All right, looking forward to that. Prof, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Cheers there, Professor Adam Habib, Vice-Chancellor and Principal at the University of Wits.